Welcome to What Are You Sporting About podcast, a podcast about business, employment, sports, and entertainment to help educate, support, and guide you to your next level. Here's your host, attorney Savania DeBarros. Hello, everyone. I am back again. Savannah DeBarros, the protector of athletes and the owner and founder of the SL DeBarros Law Firm, where we represent and service seven and eight figure business owners and athletes in business. I am so excited to have Mr. Adam uh, Shapiro on the mic today. Before we jump in with him, I do want to remind you guys that if you are a college coach, I need you to be in the room with myself and Ms. Helen Williams because we are going to be educating you about all of the aspects of name, image, and likeness that you need to know and how you can also help to manage the team dynamics that may be (laughs) already in your locker room or um, may possibly be coming up soon. So we want you to be able to have the language that you need to help your athletes. So go to athletesmakingmoves.com right now to uh, register for this event. So Mr. Adam Shapiro is a really cool guy. I saw him at um, Tackle What's Next event not that long ago, actually, and really loved what he was doing with this company called Subtext. And so immediately I invited him on to the podcast. So um, Adam has the sports efforts at Subtext, a texting platform designed to help leagues, teams, and athletes, both current and former directly connect with fans and drive revenue. His career, in his career, Adam has been a new technology innovator, former journalist and sports fan who believes deep down that Jim Boheme can bring one more home uh, before retiring. At least he hopes so. Um, And also part of gathering information for this podcast, um, he stated that his niche is finding the cracks in the same old, same old, and using technology so athletes, brands, and publishers can connect with audience and drive revenue in ways their competitors do not. And I absolutely love that. Welcome Mm -hmm. to the show. Well, thank you. And I appreciate the invitation. It's good to see you. You as well. Is there anything about your background that you want our listeners to know in addition (laughs) to that? (laughs) Sure. I, uh, yeah, I, um, Look, I, I started, you know, most of my career uh, for at least for quite a while was in news as a radio anchor and a TV guy and run, running the digital sites. And and it kind of brought me to this position because um, it, it's it's a mess out there in terms of every link kind of begging people to click them. You know, everybody's trying to kind of break through in that attention economy. How do you get someone's attention and then keep it? And uh, and that's kind of what brought me to subtext. I know we're going to get into all that, but you know, most of my life was in was in newsrooms and uh, and working with in sports, and uh, and kind of evolved into this. So I'm I'm thrilled to be talking with you about this today. Now this is awesome. So that was my first experience with you was discussing um, subtext and all of the features that it has, but the I think the difference around what you were saying was that you have the ability to create this really cohesive community where people can talk back to you. And so for other texting platforms that I've seen and have heard and are somewhat familiar with, it's really just the person who owns the company or the brand talking to, you know, their subject group, but there's really no interaction coming from the individuals that they're trying to serve or the community that they're trying to serve 
um, where they can speak back to the individual who owns that brand or that company. So I'm curious to know, like, how have athletes been able to really leverage subtext um, currently as since you've been a part of, of heading their department for um, for sports? How have they been able to uh, leverage subtext in their own businesses? So I'll, I'll give a little bit of context to it. Um, what uh, we're different than just a texting platform, because. Um, hosts, you know, the, the athletes or the leagues or the teams or the brands or uh, music artists. We have Carly Rae Jepsen texting to her uh, Call Me Maybe uh, audience. But um, basically, whoever the host is, um, is able to set up an account and be able to create a kind of a one-to-many or a one-to-one relationship with folks in their audience. And I think that's extremely valuable because in this era where, you know, look, it's great to have a million Twitter followers. God bless you if you do. But uh, with all those Twitter followers, you don't really own that relationship. Twitter does. Uh, to a large degree, it's kind of a vanity metric of look, look at all these people I can talk to. The hard part with Twitter is that even if you have that massive following, it's really hard to even reach those people. Because like I, I went into my own personal Twitter analytics and look, I'm I'm not a big name athlete. I'm not a team. I mean, there are many things I'm not. Uh, but what I was able to look at was I saw that over the past 28 days, um, I have 569 followers who, for better or for worse, and I'm not here to question their judgment, they have chosen to follow me. They want to know what I have to say. And over the past 28 days, I tweeted 17 times, which basically meant that if you multiply those 17 tweets with the 569, there is like 9,600 or so possible impressions. Like if everybody saw all of my tweets, the actual number of, of impressions over that time was closer to like 33, 3,400, which basically meant that if I tweet something, there's a one out of three chance that somebody who raised their digital hand to say, I want to know what Adam has to say is actually going to see it. And there are a lot of reasons for it. It's you know, it might be the algorithm. It might be because they're not online when I text, when I tweeted something out. Texting is different. Texting, look, if if you don't abuse it, people pay a lot of attention to their texts. You know, they don't they don't keep them like they do with uh, a lot of unread emails in their inbox. There's an opportunity to really connect directly with people, and that's increasingly important because of uh, you know the the uh, the depletion of cookie data and third-party data that's coming from Apple and Google and all the others is, you know, you're not going to have that kind of, you know, data that's out there to be able to target people. Um, and beyond that, it's it's that attention economy. How can you get somebody to pay attention to your brand, your team, your, yourself, um, and keep coming back? How do you make it rewarding? And that's what subtext can do because it's a it's a dashboard where it's very easy for a host to send out a text with general information. So I, I think of uh, Ben Troop is one of our uh, is one of uh, he's a former tight end for Florida um, who was a really big contributor to Florida's upset of Georgia 20 years ago. Uh, not quite 20. I don't want to I don't want to age Ben. But uh, but he was a really big part of that game. And he's actually from Georgia. So he's been able to set up this account and not just for this week, but he's able to do a lot of back and forth with fans where he can text something out and then fans can respond and he can either respond to them in aggregate. Hey, I see a lot of people saying that this quarterback isn't going to do something good. And let me tell you why he will. Or 
he can go back and forth with the fans directly. Like you can have that direct line. And if you do that, you're able to create that direct relationship and be able to monetize that direct relationship. Um, I'm a really big believer that we haven't yet seen the killer application of what this can be. I think there are so many ways teams could leverage it to do really cool stuff. And, uh, and that's why I, I was so happy to join the tackle what's next uh, presentation and to join you today is because I do think the right partners who want to innovate can do amazingly creative, engaging things to make their fans just jump up and down. Yeah, no, that's a really good backstory and into how people currently now are using it. And um, so that's that's a good segue into a different question, because knowing your background in news and being a reporter, mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that you've you've garnered some kind of knowledge, right? Um, some experience that helps you now to find ways to create a deeper connection. And now subtext is actually doing that. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to individuals, whether they're athletes or entrepreneurs who are looking for a way to create a deeper connection with subtext? What is something, or do they need something uh, deeper than just having this platform to go and now create a more meaningful connection with the people that they really truly want to serve? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, so there's a, I, I always kind of, urge people to be really honest with themselves and to say, okay, I'm going to do subtext or maybe I'll create a QR code and hope that people will, you know, buy something from me or come into my restaurant or something. And I always say to please be honest with yourself and think, is this worth scanning with the code? Is this worth clicking with the link? Is this worth like, there has to be a very clear value because if it's just another link, you have plenty of things to click on today. You know, you're going to ignore most of what you see on Facebook and on Twitter. And, you know, and you have plenty of choices if you're on Hulu or Netflix or whatever. It is. There are plenty of things to keep you engaged and entertained. But how do you make it something that somebody really wants? To, how do you make it truly compelling? Uh, we have a, a partner, uh, Cleveland.com does a great job with um, Ohio State football. And they have an Ohio State football podcast and they have a number of Ohio State football reporters and they also have an Ohio State football subtext line. And what they do is they create a kind of a, a circle of, of engagement and revenue where they do this podcast and they talk about the games and the teams and all that kind of stuff. But they also text out with subtext. They text uh, notes from the uh, coaches press conference, which most fans are not going to see. Um, and, or they, uh, they text out notes with things that they noticed at practice or stuff like that, you know, or on game day, Hey, we noticed that, you know, that so-and-so is still in street clothes. Let's keep an eye on that kind of thing. It's inside information that they're able to deliver now as a fan. And, you know, I, I'm a sports fan. Like as a fan, I, th I sit back and say, if I went to Ohio state, that's gold. Like that information is so valuable to me that I'd be willing to pay for it. And then what they do is they also, in the course of the texting, will send out um, certain questions that they want their texters to answer. So they'll say things like, you know, who do you think should be uh, the starting quarterback in week two? Should it be CJ Stroud? Should it be Kyle McCord? Should it be whoever? And the fans will respond. We have a way to be able to create that kind of polling and that engagement. 
And uh, then they talk about it on the podcast, which then enhances the value of the texters. So it creates this kind of circle of value for the users, both listening and texting. And they made a, they've made, they're making a fortune on it. <laughs> and God yeah. bless them. Good for them. But like, so the ultimate message there is make sure what you're asking people to either sign up for or whatever it might be, make sure it's really worth it. Like be honest with yourself and say, how is this different than what they would get for free on a Twitter account? Um, if you can yeah. make it truly valuable, that's a win. Yeah. So you're known for saying that your content is like going to Costco's. And when you were talking about, um, you know, what kind of content to provide, you know, I was thinking about content overload because you can you can go to all these social channels. I mean, shoot my inbox. Like I, I tell my clients now, like, do not send me an email straight to my inbox. You have to go to your client portal. Otherwise, I will not see it. Yep. There's a there's a high possibility I would not see it because there's so much coming to my inbox. Um, and some stuff, if I happen to see an email or click on it, it could be really valuable information. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of content overload. It's right. Totally and so we want to make sure that when you are utilizing this platform, that you find a way to create and provide content that is very specific to your audience that other people may not be able to get other otherwise and that in itself will create a more higher value base um or i don't know worth on what it is you bring to the table um instead of these individuals saying you know what i can just go to facebook and and download that (laughs) It, it is so overwhelming there is so much out there and how do you determine one from the other um, you know, yeah, I did say that, you know, often a publisher's content is like Costco. And I say that because like, look, I love Costco, but when I go to Costco and I want to buy toothpaste, they don't have 50 brands of toothpaste there. They've got Crest and Costco's approach is, look, we think you're shopping for toothpaste. We don't think that you're, you know, going to comparison shop on every toothpaste or every, uh, every, you know, um, uh, fabric softener or whatever, they think they're going to pick the one that they go with and they're going to say, look, you want seltzer? This is the seltzer that we have. And there are enough people who go to Costco who say, you know what? I don't need to comparison shop all of my different seltzers. I just want that one or I want that toothpaste. So I think content is very much the same way because if I'm wondering what ha- you know, what is New York City doing to prepare for you know, a potential flood? Or, you know, or for a heavy rainstorm and and after what happened with the subways at Hurricane Ida, Uh, the next time a storm comes through, I I know that that story is going to be on WNBC. It's going to be on WCBS. It's going to be on WABC. It's going to be all over the place, every newspaper. How does that publisher separate themselves from everybody else by doing something differently? And that's where I think something like a subtext comes in handy is that you're able to provide something different. So if, if you're a former athlete, for example, and uh, you know this is something Ben could do, although he told, told me that he curses way too much during the Florida games. Um, well, if he doesn't curse, I don't know if he curses, he just gets, he gets riled up. Um, but, uh, but like if you're a former player who is looking to do something interesting, do something a little differently, what if you set up a, you know, almost like a weekly watch party for your former team's games, like the, the team that you're best known for? And on Sunday, you and you recruit a former teammate 
you create a Zoom link where anybody can come on and you only send that Zoom link to the folks that you used to, that that are part of your subtext texting line. And by doing that, you're able to create this really intimate community between you and your fans who didn't come in through Twitter and therefore aren't paying anything, but instead you have an ability to monetize and you can almost with your former teammate do like what Peyton and Eli Manning are doing on the Manning cast on ESPN too every other Monday, every Monday night is, you know, create something that's exclusive. Um, you know, I, I went to Syracuse and during the pandemic trapped in my house uh, when they canceled March Madness, uh, CBS Sports, um, you know, they started playing old NCAA championship games, the great games. And one night it was Syracuse, Kansas. And that was one of the best nights of my life. And uh, so I watched the game and I saw that, you know, an outlet in Syracuse um, said, here's a link to a Zoom. And basically it was Coach Jim Beheim and Carmelo Anthony and Hakeem Warwick and Jerry Mack, like, all the, the guys, they all basically watched the game with me because we were all part of this intimate community. You can do that with subtext. And uh, there were just a lot of ways to use it. And I, I, I love talking with leagues, with teams, with former athletes to say, how do we do this together? How, how can we make this really, really cool? You know, so clarify for us because... Um you mentioned publishers. Mm -hmm. So are athletes, are, is there anyone who operates through subtext? Are they now considered a publisher? I mean, you mean legally or just? Well, legally? just in general. Yeah, because I, the I mean, way I think, of, go ahead. I, I think they are. I mean, look, if you're an athlete or, you know, when you, when an athlete is on Twitter, they're a publisher because they put out content and, and look, the content might not be, you know, uh, you know, the Pentagon papers, but they're, you know, they're putting out, you know, 240 characters that's content. So yeah, they become a publisher on Twitter and they would become a publisher on subtext in very much the same way. Yeah. So that's the way I was thinking about it because I don't think a lot of individuals would think that they are considered a publisher in sense, mm -hmm. but you are, you're utilizing different mechanisms to publish information to individuals that you either want to do business with or create some kind of a community with, like through subtext. Yeah. And yes. so in that idea, um, that line of thinking, you are you are an actual publisher. Mm -hmm. um, so do you think of them different in terms of the media or, you know, like, do you think of an individual who just publishes information to be different from, of course, someone who is legit in the media industry like yourself? You were mm -hmm. um, um, you did um, you were a reporter, mm -hmm. um, a producer at one point. Right. So yeah. what would be. Hmm, I guess what would be um, an issue that you believe individuals who are in the media industry, like in terms of their job, their title, um, how they can overcome their content issues with subtext versus individuals who don't really hold those titles, um, you know, and aren't, aren't really held to any particular journalistic standards. Mm -hmm. I think, um, 
you know, look, everybody kind of has to make their own choices as to what they're comfortable with. Journalistic standards are things you may have learned in, you know, I learned them in Syracuse. Um, and I, I like to think that I would do things the right way. Not look, there's enough misinformation out there. We know that not everybody looks at this the same way, looks at all of that the same way. Um, for those who are not, you know, who don't come from a, a publishing background or a media background, there's still an opportunity to do, um, you know, to be able to execute things that are interesting. Um, you know, the same way that, um, you know, the first folks in, you know, who created fantasy football websites, they might not have been, you know, the, uh, they, they might not have been either that or the Washington Post. They may have done it because they love fantasy football. They saw the web and they saw an opportunity. Um, now that said, they learn to do it right, to not just post random things about random players that they don't know to be true. Um, there are certain standards that I think everybody wants to adhere to, but generally speaking, there's not an athlete or a coach or a team or anything. I, I tend to think that an athletic department could leverage a platform like this really well. That's not, that's not a media organization, but it's a good way to set up a, you know, a weekly office hours with the coach where they, where people could ask the coach questions or weekly office hours in general with the program where one week it's the coach, one week it's the point guard, whatever it might be. There are a lot of ways to leverage it. And I don't think you necessarily have to be a, a quote unquote journalist to do so. That makes sense. So what advice would you give to the young athletes right now who may want a job in media like, mm -hmm. What would be some steps that you would advise if you were mentoring them that you would advise that they start taking now or some things right. they should start doing now to at least make sure that that possibility can become reality? Uh, there are a few things. Uh, you know, I, I always, even when I was in newsrooms every day, I, I was of the belief that everybody should look at content with a bit of a business development hat on also. So for that current athlete, um, it's understanding how to reach people and how to deliver value to people. Um, you know, I look, I, I think it's probably pretty clear that I'm, I'm a bit of a subtext fan. Um, but, uh, but there are, you know, there are numerous ways to create things that are valuable. Um, it, you know, and yes, some of them might be on platforms like Facebook or Twitter or whatever it might be, but there's so much technology to be leveraged that there's an opportunity to do so. But as you do it, really think in terms of what's the value to the end customer. Um, because if you created, and I'll just use our example because it's it's subtext is, you know, is if you want to use subtext the same way that you would use Twitter and just text out everything that you can see or do or whatever, that's a lousy experience because by definition on text, you don't want 50 texts over the course of a day, you know, pinging, you know, you don't want your phone blowing up because, you know, this athlete decided that uh, you should know that he's in the weight room now. Um, think about what the value would be and then how do you do more with it? So, uh, you know, I, I, I so admire, um, I, uh, I met, <laughs> uh, we work with, uh, we work with Matthew Berry uh, on the fantasy sports angle. And uh, Matthew has, you know, he, he was a guy who had a different career. He wasn't in sports media. 
Uh, he wasn't in fantasy media. He was a guy who played fantasy sports and was very passionate about it. He had a side job or he had his regular job. And then as his side job, he created his own site. He was very passionate about it. And eventually he got his way to ESPN. God bless him. Um, diving into uh, trying to understand sports better because I'm working with Matthew. Um, I came across uh, a, a, a young man who's a student. I think he's at Ohio University named Luke Sawhook. And Luke um, is a student. He's, I, I don't even think he's old enough to drink legally. And he's created a following on Twitter because he's really good at fantasy and does the homework and communicates it well and uses social tools really well. And he's created a presence for himself online. You know, he's, he's now a known name in the community. And I'm like, God bless him, man. When I was in college, when I was his age, I, I you know, I, I, I couldn't find, you know, my head, you know, it was so dislodged up my butt that, you know, I couldn't do anything. He's been great. And, you know, so I would say to any athlete, how do you look for those seams in what you know to be doable now? How do you create your own niche out of it? How do you create, how do you leverage the technology in a way that can make you different and special and bigger than you would be otherwise? Great advice. Great advice. And I think that's something that um, I know you're in a tech space, but there's a lot of name, image and likeness stuff happening. And I think mm -hmm. that is having a lot of student athletes have to, you know, really think about who they are. Mm -hmm. And what their interests are outside of sports, right? Because a lot of these brands that may want to do deals with you may not be sports brands, you know, yep. like if it's a drink, what do you drink every day? Right. <laughs> you know, um, do you, do you buy your books from a certain uh, uh, bookstore like Barnes mm -hmm. and Noble, you know? So if I, I really do think that if individuals implement the things that you stated, they will be in a great position because it's stuff that it's not new, <laughs> right? It's not new, but sometimes we, we may need to hear it multiple times. We may need to hear it from different people in different ways so that we get it. And yep. so I really do appreciate that advice. Um, one thing that stuck out to me was, how do you do more with it? So once you figure out your value to the customer, it's not what you think is good, because I think that's where a lot of people feel we think it's a good service. But other people are like, yeah, that's not happening. That's not for me. So once right. you find out what your market really wants, what's valuable for them. Now, how do you transition or scale that to do more with what you currently have? That's great. Great, great, great advice. I really appreciate that. It, it had nothing to do with sports, but maybe there's a you know maybe there's a parallel with sports. But over the summer, uh, I went with my uh, my wife and kids. We went to Hershey Park, which by the way was awesome. Um, but we went to Hershey Park, and as we were there, I thought, well, what if someone you know there are enough people online who do right reviews of roller coasters and stuff on YouTube, and they're just people who who saw an opportunity to create their own niche on YouTube, and some of them, yeah, I mean. God bless them. Like some of them have made significant money doing that, you know? And uh, so there are those elite YouTubers who are rating rides and stuff like that. And one of one of them took the next step and created a subtext account where for the course of your trip, let's say you're going to be there for a week or Disney world or whatever it is, there could be a, um, you could set up, you know, for $10, 
will answer your questions about, okay, when I first get into the park, what ride should I hit because it's going to be crazy crowded or right after lunch, like, you know, how are things in the food court? Um, is it empty at 12, but packed at 1210, you know, like things like that, like insider information. Um, how do you leverage the current platforms to do that? I think it's harder to do on Twitter. I think it's easier to do with our platform, but that's why I joined the platform. <laughs> um, but generally speaking, there are ways to use technologies that are out there to try and create those kinds of opportunities. And, you know, look, I'm not clever enough to think of them all, but I like to think that, uh, that there are ways to sit down and say, all right, what do we do if you're that, um, that, possible second round pick. Um, do you, you know, how do you leverage that? How do you leverage, you know, being, you know, a, the, the big athlete on campus, but not going to be a pro, like, how do we do that? I think there are a lot of possibilities, um, with name, image, and likeness. And it's why I, I would hope, you know, I would love to talk to some folks about it. Yeah, no, that would be so amazing, especially as a college athlete, because even if you, are the athlete that that doesn't receive like a a big financial win through NIL this still give this still gives you the opportunity to build a community so yep. by the time so like I didn't have a community when I left college <laughs> shoot not even after grad so you know especially if you have that stardom people see you constantly mm -hmm. on TV especially if you're in the you know power five schools now you can create a community with individuals. So when you get ready to transition and do something else, you're not starting from blank trying to build an email list or texting group. You yep. already have your people, right? Mm -hmm. And now, yep. like you said, now you can go to the drawing board and do different things, do more things with them um, without you having to now start from scratch. Totally. It, yeah. it, I say that to, uh, to news reporters. Um, news reporters, I think, are very quick to just take the uh, the Twitter account that the station set up for them, John Smith at www. You know, whatever uh, you know, whatever the the TV station is, and I always say to them, really try to leverage your own personal email address for the uh, or Twitter account for that, because when you leave that TV station, then all of those people who followed you because every day you were on the news and it had your Twitter handle underneath, all those people are gone. You don't control that. So with uh, if you use your own uh, email or rather Twitter uh, account, they will follow you um, the same way that if you were to create a, a subtext account, those are direct relationships that you have with your audience. Um, and, you know, that that data is yours. All that stuff is yours. Think it's, it's important to really think through what's the use case? How do I use it? Um, because it's easy to bug people, but it's also, you know, it's also an, an immense opportunity. Yeah, true. And for the people out there who may say, well, I got already too much take. I'm, I'm one of those people. <laughs> We're like, okay, this is a lot. How do I balance all of this tech? Um, but, you know, would you agree that maybe you, you might want to look at some of the things that you do, that you currently have in-house and figure out, is this really serving me the best way that, you know, that I, I hope that it would. And if not, mm -hmm. then maybe it's time to kind of shave some things. Um, and then like with every new thing too, that you get, it, it may be hard at first because it's new and it's different and it's not a part of your, your daily plan yet. But the more you start using it and set maybe a schedule, okay, I'm going to um, text to my group 
once a week or once a month on Mm -hmm. like this one big issue, you know, now it, it becomes a habit. Right. And now once you start and you, you get that consistency going and it's, it is a habit, it'll just be like second nature to you. I mean, you change on your phone every day anyway. (laughs) You know, and and that's the thing is, you know, the platform itself, you you shouldn't overdo it. You know, you don't want to do, it it actually could be, I mean, depending on how much time you want to put into responding Mm -hmm. to people directly, it could be a five or 10 minute a day commitment Mm -hmm. to, um, you know, to something that could really be beneficial in a lot of ways, as opposing as opposed to using the easy technology options that are out there. Yeah. That, that if you really think about it, don't do you a lot of good. When um, when I was in newsrooms, a lot of folks, when um, you know, rather than set up their own, you know, live cameras and and uh, and live uh, links that would then be sent out to customers uh, to their audience they would go over the scene of a you know of of live breaking news and use facebook live and i remember saying to people like why are we promoting facebook like facebook didn't do anything they didn't put up the helicopter and when people watch it on facebook live they're not next time going to say you know i should go to that that tv station they're going to say oh yeah i saw it on facebook live let's get people committed to our brand because that's we that that's what we're in business for, you know. Um, and there are a lot of ways to do that, and that's what uh, that that's what I I I really do believe in many ways. This is the you know a golden age to be in media or as an you know or as someone who is known as an athlete or to be a team or something like that. You don't have to just do what everybody else has done. You can look at the technology and say, well, what if we did this? Because yeah. everything that's great was done once by someone the first time. And uh, and just explore. Try. And if it doesn't work, then move on. But try different technologies. Try ways to use those different technologies. Um, I think we can be one of them. I'd, you know, if, if anybody watching this or listening to this wants to reach out, I'd love it if you would. Um, and let's, uh, but let's innovate. Innovation is fun. Yes, yes, yes. Now, with that being said, how do people sign up? Where can they follow subtext, mm-hmm. interact with subtext? Give me all of the deeps. Okay, so um, <laughs> the our, our main site is joinsubtext.com. Um, and that's the, you know, the, I mean, that's certainly the place to go first and that you'll see, um, you'll see, you know, some videos and, and some fairly easy um, uh, ways to get started. Um, you can actually apply to get an account uh, right off that homepage. Um, I can make it easier for them if they want to reach out to me directly. I'm adam at joinsubtext.com. <laughs> it's uh, pretty simple in that regard. So adam at joinsubtext.com. If they want to reach out to me um, on, on LinkedIn, uh, we can certainly do that too. Um, their, uh, subtext also has a LinkedIn page, um, a good Twitter handle. Um, it's, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a, <laughs> the, the organization is, is well organized and, uh, and there are, it's, it's an easy one to be able to kind of dip your toe in the water. You don't have to say, all right, I'd like to do this, but you know, I, I, it's going to take 50 hours a week. It's by no means going to do that. It's, it's easy to do. It's easy to create. Love it. Thank you so much. So guys, you've heard it. You can go to joinsubtext.com or you can email Adam directly at 
adam at joinsubtext.com for more information. This has been so amazing and very helpful information because we want to make sure that we are able to leverage the services and products that we have in a way that, for one, doesn't cost us more sweat equity, (laughs) right? Um, But something that we can really build these communities that are more exclusive, that have high value-driven content so that we can really, at the end of the day, create something that we're both proud of that, but that can also pay us dividends in the future. So Adam, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been a pleasure to speak with you and I look forward to definitely doing business with Subtext in the near, near, near future. <laughs> it is my pleasure. And yeah, let's, let's set up an account for, this, uh, for the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, no, I, uh, it, it has absolutely been my pleasure. Have a wonderful weekend and uh, and thank you again. Thank you. And you too. And guys, don't forget, make sure that you go to your favorite podcasting platform, wherever you listen to your podcast and sign up for What Are You Sporting About? So you never miss an episode. And for my college coaches out there trying to figure out how to navigate name, image, and likeness so that you can be the the actual coach, okay, where your student athletes can come to you for the advice that they are going to need on these issues. I want you to join myself and Coach Helen Williams, November 14th. At 5 Central Standard Time, you can go to athletesmakingmoves.com right now to register for that. Guys, again, I'm Savannah DeBarros, the protector of athletes. And as always, it is my pleasure to educate you, motivate you, and support you to your very next level. Until next time, I'll check you later. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on What Are You Sporting About? podcast. Make sure to visit our website, prosportlawyer.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite platform is so you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or iHeartRadio. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, What Are You Sporting About? Attorney Savania DeBarros is available for private consulting at S ldebarros.com. And remember, we're here to educate, support, and guide you in your journey to success because we're all sporting about something.